are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to share your own thoughts and reflections about today's readings, head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to interact with others who are reading and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 216, and we are reading from volume 3, book 5, chapter 29, paragraphs 314 to 321. Chapter 29. Christ returns with the five first disciples to Nazareth. He baptizes his most holy mother. Other incidences during this time. 314. The mystic edifice of the Milton Church, which aspires to the most exalted mysteries of the divinity, is founded entirely upon the Holy Catholic faith. Established by our Redeemer and Master, its wise and prudent architect, to ensure this firmness in the first foundation stones, his disciples, he began immediately to imbue them with the truths and mysteries relating to his divinity and humanity. In order to make himself known as the Messiah and Redeemer of the world, who had descended from the bosom of his eternal Father to assume human flesh, it was urgently necessary to explain to them the manner of his incarnation in the womb of his most blessed mother. It behooved him, therefore, in order that they might know and venerate her as a true mother and virgin, to speak to them of this heavenly mystery together with what relates to the hypostatic union and the redemption. With this heavenly doctrine, then, were nourished the firstborn sons of the Savior, and before the apostles came into the presence of the great queen and lady, they had already conceived most exalted ideas of her celestial excellences. They had been informed that she was a virgin before, during, and after her parturition, and had they been inspired by Christ with the profoundest reverence and love, and filled with the desire of immediately seeing and knowing such a heavenly creature, Christ thus aimed not only to satisfy his own zeal in extending the honor of his Holy Mother, but also to excite in his apostles the highest veneration and reverence toward her. Although all of them were divinely enlightened, yet St. John began to distinguish himself in this love of Mary before all the rest. From the very first words of the Master concerning the dignity and excellence of his purest mother, he grew in loving esteem of his holiness— for he was selected and prepared for a greater privilege in the service of this queen, as I shall relate as it is recorded in the Gospels. 3.15 The first disciples of the Lord begged him to grant them the consolation of seeing and reverencing his mother. 
In accordance with their petition, he journeyed directly to Nazareth through Galilee, continuing to preach and teach publicly on the way and proclaiming himself as the master of truth and eternal life. Many carried away by the force of his doctrines and by the light and grace overflowing into their hearts began to listen to him and to follow him, though he did not, for the present, call any more to be his disciples. It is worthy of notice that though the five disciples had conceived such an ardent devotion to the heavenly lady, and though they saw with their own eyes how worthy she was of her eminent position among creatures, yet they all maintained strict silence about their thoughts. By the disposition of heaven they seemed as if mute and ignorant in all that concerned the publication of what they thought and felt in regard to her excellences. For it was not befitting that these mysteries of our holy faith should be proclaimed to all men indiscriminately. The sun of justice was now dawning upon souls, and it was necessary that its own splendor should shine forth to illumine all the nations. And although its resplendent moon, his mother was now in the fullness of her sanctity, it behooved her to reserve her light for the night, in which the church should deplore the absence of that son in the bosom of his eternal father. And this office fulfilled as I shall relate in the third part, for then the splendor of the great lady broke forth, while before that time her holiness and excellence were manifested only to the apostles in order that they might know and reverence her, and that they might listen to her as the worthy mother of the Redeemer of the world, and as the teacher of all virtue and perfection. 3.16 The Savior then pursued his way to Nazareth, instructing his new children and disciples not only in the mysteries of the faith, but in all virtues by word and example as he continued to do during the whole period of his evangelical preaching. With this in view, he searched out the poor and afflicted, consoled the sick and sorrowful, visited the infirmaries and prisons, performing miracles of mercy as well for body as for soul. Yet he did not profess himself as the author of any miracles until he attended the marriage feast at Cana, as I shall relate in the next chapter. While the Savior proceeded on his journey, his Most Holy Mother prepared to receive him and his disciples at Nazareth, for she was aware of all that happened, and therefore hospitality set her poor dwelling in order and solicitously procured the necessary victuals beforehand for their entertainment. 3.17 When the Savior of the world approached the house, his Blessed Mother awaited him at the door, and as he entered, prostrated herself on the ground, adoring him and kissing his hands and feet, while she asked for his blessing. Then she sounded the praise of the Most Holy Trinity, in exalted and wonderful words, and also of his humanity in the presence and hearing of the new disciples. This she did not without mysterious purpose on her part, for besides showing to her divine Son the honor and adoration due to him as the true God-man, she wished also to make a return for the praise with which her Son had exalted her in the eyes of his disciples. Thus, just as the Son had in the absence instilled into their minds the reverence for the dignity of his mother, so the most prudent and faithful mother in the presence of her Son wished to instruct them in regard to the worship due to their divine Master as to their God and Redeemer. The profound humility and worship with which the great lady received Christ, the Savior, filled the disciples with new devotion and reverential fear for their divine Master. Henceforth she served them as an example and model of true devotion, entering at once into her office as instructress and spiritual mother of the disciples of Christ by showing them how to converse with their God and Redeemer. 
They were immediately drawn toward their queen and cast themselves on their knees before her, asking her to be received as her sons and servants. The first to do this was St. John, who from that time on distinguished himself in exalting and reverencing Mary before all the apostles. While she on her part received him with a, a special love, for besides his excelling and virginal chastity, he was of a meek and humble disposition. 3.18. The great lady received them all as her guests, serving them their meals and combining the solicitude of a mother with the modesty and majesty of a queen, so that she caused admiration even in the holy angels. She served her divine son on her knees in deepest reverence. At the same time, she spoke of the majesty of their teacher and redeemer of the apostles, instructing them in the great doctrines of the Christian faith. During that night, when the apostles had retired, the Savior betook himself to the oratory of his purest mother, as he had been wont to do. And she, the most humble among the humble, placed herself at his feet as in the years gone by. In regard to this practice of humility, all that she could do seemed little to the great queen and much less than she ought to in view of his infinite love and the immense gifts received at his hands. She confessed herself as useless as the dust of the earth. The Lord lifted her from the ground and spoke to her words of life and eternal salvation, yet quietly and serenely, for at this period he began to treat her with a greater reserve in order to afford her a chance of merit, as I have mentioned when I spoke of this departure for the desert and for his baptism. 3.19 The Most Blessed Lady also asked him for the sacrament of baptism which he had now instituted, and which he had promised her before, in order that they might be administered with a dignity becoming as well the son as the mother, an innumerable host of angelic spirits descended from heaven in visible forms. Attended by them, Christ himself baptized his purest mother. Immediately the voice of the Eternal Father was heard, saying, This is my beloved daughter, in whom I take delight. The incarnate word said, This is my mother, much beloved, whom I have chosen and who will assist me in all my works. And the Holy Ghost added, This is my spouse, chosen among thousands. The purest lady felt and received such great and numerous effects of grace in her soul that no human words can describe them. For she was exalted to new heights of grace, and her holy soul was made resplendent with new and exquisite beauty of heaven. She received the characteristic token impressed by the sacrament, namely, that of the children of Christ and his holy church. In addition to the ordinary effects of the sacrament outside of the remission of sins, of which she stood in no need, she merited special graces on account of the humility with which she submitted to the sacrament of purification. By it, she accumulated blessings like to those of her divine Son, with only this difference, that she received an increase of grace which was not possible in Christ. Thereupon the humble mother broke out in a canticle of praise with the holy angels, and prostrate before her divine Son, she thanked him for the most efficacious graces she had received in this sacrament. Instruction given to me by the Queen of Heaven. 3.20 My daughter, I see thee more moved to emulation and desire by the great happiness of the disciples of my most holy Son, and especially that of St. John, my favorite servant. It is certain that I loved him in a special manner because he was the most pure and candid as a dove. In the eyes of the Lord he was very pleasing, both on account of his purity and account on his love toward me. His example should serve thee as a spur to do that which my son and I expect of thee. 
Thou art aware, my dearest, that I am the most pure mother, and that I receive with maternal affection all those who fervently and devoutly desire to be my children and servants in the Lord. By the love which she has given me, I shall embrace them with open arms, and shall be their intercessor and advocate. Thy poverty, uselessness, and weakness shall be for me only a more urgent motive for manifesting toward thee my most liberal kindness. Therefore, I call upon thee to become my chosen and beloved daughter in the Holy Church. 3.21 I shall, however, make the fulfillment of my promise depend upon a service on thy part, namely that thou have a true and holy emulation of the love with which I love St. John, and of all the blessings flowing from it by imitating him as perfectly as the powers will allow. Hence, thou must promise to fulfill all that I now command thee, without failing in the least point. I desire, then, that thou labor until all love of self die within thee, that thou suppress all the effects of the first sin until all the earthly inclinations consequent upon it are totally extinguished, that thou seek to restore within thee that dove-like sincerity and simplicity which destroys all malice and duplicity. In all thy doings thou must be an angel, since the condescension the Most High with thee was so great as to furnish thee with the light and intelligence more of an angel than that of a human creature. I have procured for thee these great blessings, and therefore it is but reasonable on my part to expect thee to correspond with them in thy works and in thy thoughts. In regard to me, thou must cherish a continual affection and loving desire of pleasing and serving me, being always attentive to my counsels and having thy eyes fixed upon me in order to know and execute what I command. Then shalt thou be my true daughter." and I shall be thy protectress and loving mother. This concludes our reading today for day number 216. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 29, Paragraphs 314 to 321. I really loved today's chapter because it really captures the essence of the Marian devotion of the early church, of the early apostles. And as we heard, he's only called five, so he's going to call more apostles. But for these five, Jesus has already communicated to them the glories of Mary, how much God has done for her. It was important for him to share with them that she was ever virgin before, during, and after. So that was something Christ shared. But then he communicated that they should honor her. And that's what we do. As Jesus was sharing all these things about his mother, I wondered if maybe he also shared with them a little bit about St. Joseph and what he would have said about him. I'm very excited also because we heard in our reading today that tomorrow we'll hear a bit more about the wedding feast at Cana. That's one of the things I've been waiting for as we've been reading the mystical city of God. Now, Jesus told his apostles about his mother and encouraged them to love her. And so John, the beloved disciple, chooses to love her. John, the disciple, sets the pattern in which Our Lady in the instruction says, imitate St. John in your love of the Blessed Mother. But then you have Jesus returning to the home in Nazareth. There's his mother. And now Mary begins to instruct the apostles by her adoration and by her worship, by her honor of Jesus. 
So you have both of them teaching honor my mother and then Mary saying, this is how you honor the Son of God. She models for them what they are to do. As they were in her presence, they were immediately drawn toward their queen and cast themselves on their knees before her, asking to be received as her sons and servants. The first to do this was St. John, who from that time on distinguished himself in exalting and reverencing Mary before all the apostles, while she on her part received him with a special love. They came and they cast themselves on their knees and asked to be received as her son. Well, what is that for us? It's Marian consecration, that we kneel down and we say, Mary, I take you today to be my mother, be my intercessor, be the queen of my life. It's through that action that, in one way, we really do what the apostles did today in any form of Marian devotion. Go to a shrine of Our Lady and kneel before her statue. Well, this is another action that you can take. That's what you do when you're a devoted son or daughter of our Heavenly Mother. And then, I've always been curious, and it's a question I've been asked, did Mary get baptized? And today we get that answer of, yes. It wasn't an extravagant ceremony, it was simply in the oratory of her house, but Jesus goes there and baptizes her. And just as we heard at the River Jordan, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, well, you hear, this is my beloved daughter in whom I take delight. Then Jesus says, this is my mother, much beloved whom I have chosen and who will assist me in all my works. Jesus himself saying, she will assist me in all my works. And she continues to assist him, especially today in the distribution of grace from heaven. She assists him now in that way. She will assist in the work of redemption as well. And then the Holy Ghost says, this is my spouse chosen among thousands. Mary is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to baptism, if we realize what baptism means for us, it means that we are forgiven of original sin. Well, we heard, in addition to the ordinary effects of the sacrament, outside of the remission of sins of which she stood in no need, she merited special graces on account of the humility with which she submitted to the sacrament of purification. So Mary doesn't need the forgiveness of sins. But this baptism continues to choose Mary in a very special way. Mary needs no forgiveness because she is the Immaculate Conception. Quite a beautiful reading today to focus on our own love and devotion to the Blessed Mother. If you want to be a better son or daughter of Our Lady, maybe ask St. John to pray for you today. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.